What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Big Shots NFL Draft Podcast. Don't adjust your speakers. Yes, you are hearing us for the second time this week, and that's because we have a special guest. Obviously, it's me, it's Devin, and we're joined by Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report. Connor, how are you doing today, man? Good, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we could finally make this happen. Long time in the works, but hey, let's hope it pays off this time. And, you know, ah, wow, that was a terrible segment. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Um, so yeah, we got Connor on. We just wanted to ask a couple of draft questions for you since, you know, we, it doesn't feel like it, but it is draft month. Um, with all of the crazy crap that's going on in the world, it doesn't, you know, the draft is really the furthest thing from everyone's mind, but if we can just kind of take a few minutes and just, you know, uh, ask you a couple questions. First one I got for you is with everything being shut down due to coronavirus, how has this affected you and, and Matt in terms of gathering info? Yeah, well, I think the interesting thing is that there's really no buzz coming out of pro days because now pro days don't exist. And I think when you have that kind of stuff, it can go one of two ways. You can gain valuable information, whether it's from scouts that are going to pro days, executives that are going to pro days, um, you know, trainers that are working the pro days, and, of course, the players and the feedback they get. So all that information is shut down now sometimes the information you get out of these things can be smoke screens so like i said it does work both ways but i think it's an interesting aspect to this that for you know the first time since i've been doing this it's really just teams are sitting down they're watching film they're using the info they already gathered from either the senior bowl or the nfl combine or from scouting trips during the season for schools and that's what it comes down to, guys. I mean, yes, there are these three FaceTime calls per week that teams can use, but I don't know how much they're truly gaining from FaceTime calls in comparison to the usual process that they go through in March and April, especially with the lack of medical checks for non-combine invites or medical rechecks for the guys that got to the combine and did have injury concerns. So it's very different. It, it actually is a little bit more quiet, but in a way it's been fun to truly just focus on the draft class and the talent on the field. Yeah. I mean, I've said for years that, you know, draft season gets kind of weird because there's always something that people want to nitpick at, whether it's Teddy Bridgewater's skinny knees or Josh Rosen's commitment to football or something that almost always seems like it's some narrative that a smokescreen, you know, is being put out. It's good to not have something like that right now. Um, and it's, I think, uh, you know, it, it's really letting the, the, uh, the tape speak for itself. Um, my next one is you kind of became synonymous with a bit of a meme last year for, for your draft coverage. Um, the, the Daniel Jones L <laughs> we're about three weeks out from the draft. Is there anything that you're hearing or anything that come draft day would surprise you to d that level of Daniel Jones going six overall? Uh, nothing true, like, that genuine. I, I know, um, you know, like, if something like if the Bengals took Justin Herbert number one overall, <laughs> I, like, that's not going to happen in this draft. I don't think that's happening. So I, I think when you look at it like that, it, I, I guess if the Lions at three really interests me because they're such an interest, a weird team right now. Like, if they didn't move from three and they passed on Jeff Okuda and Isaiah Simmons – it would be very interesting to me, but I, I don't think that kind of moment uh, is it. Now, the reason I say that is because you, you don't expect those kind of <laughs> moments. So maybe we will get something, something so out there. Uh, I mean, it's our, you know, the Giants are, are fascinating with Gettleman because it seems like their pick leaks every year. Everybody's already <laughs> saying. I saw Matt Miller said on, uh, I think it was his cutting notebook or, or one of the articles that, 
you know, the Giants are zeroing in on Isaiah Simmons. And it's like, why does it every time around this time of year we know who the Giants are picking already? It's it's crazy how they that gets out. And there's not even anything going on where people should be finding out this info on the road. <laughs> so it kind of makes you laugh in that regard. But uh, I won't give them an L if they take Isaiah Simmons. He's a good player. So No, for, no, it's, for sure. <laughs> I, yeah, I think when you look at it right now, yeah. And no surprises yet, but I always have a couple of tricks up my sleeve. I've been hearing Ezra Cleveland in round one recently, and I, I, no, please no. <laughs> yeah, that would not. Uh, be, Devin, I, that would not be smart. No. All right, Devin. I know you got a couple questions for Connor, and then we'll get you out of here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what's up, Connor? Um, so, kind of one of my questions is, you know, kind of more draft specific, but uh, like, what's one prospect kind of in your mind that has raised his stock since the college season ended? And then kind of on the flip side, which one uh, you, you know, that you've seen has kind of hurt his stock the most since uh, the season ended? Oh, that's a good one, especially when you, you factor in the fact that, uh, you know, once the games end. And I think for me, it's Denzel Mims that his stock has gone up because I remember watching him a little over the summer during the season. And you sit there and you go, man, is he a product of playing in the Big 12? Because that happens, especially with Baylor wide receivers or Texas Tech wide receivers, guys like that a lot. And then you look at it and you go, okay, he's had some good games, but he's not physically dominating as much as you'd expect somebody with that size profile. But then you go back and watch the film, and I think there's a lot of really, really good things he did, especially with the quarterback play there. At Baylor. So I think when you look at it for Mims, he came off a season where things were pretty good. And then he goes into the senior bowl and he has a pretty nice week. And then he goes into the combine and he tests like one of the better athletes we've seen at wide receiver in quite some time, whether it's now I've been explaining to people. I don't think he plays those numbers. Not a lot of humans on planet earth do unless you're Calvin Johnson. So when you look at it, you know, the four, three, eight, 40, the six, 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 three cone, those are freakish things, and I don't know if they translate to the field necessarily on that level, but they still translate in terms of a guy you could develop as a pretty high-profile wide receiver. So I look at Mims, and I just think he's done a lot of good things because it felt like he was a day two, uh, early round three, late round three kind of pick in this draft class for a while because it was so deep with wide receiver, but he owned the process as a senior wide receiver, and I think he's played his way into maybe that Packers pick in the first round at 30th overall. So I really like what Mims has done, and you know, kudos to him for taking advantage of some wide receivers falling. When you look at LaVisca Chennault, T. Higgins, and the guy I want to talk about that I think his stock has fallen a little bit since the season ended, and that's K.J. Hamler. And I still really like Hamler, but you know, when you're a small wide receiver, you're hurt and can't work out at the combine, and now there's no pro day. It's hurt him. I mean, I think when you look at it with Hamler, I think he would have ran four three forty flat at the combine. He's got that kind of speed, and he hasn't been able to show it off. And this was a player during the season that we were all ranting and raving about as a redshirt sophomore. I know I personally said, this is Hollywood Brown. This is what this guy looks like, a really small target that is smoking people vertically and makes plays happen with the ball in his hands. And I think when you're small and hurt and can't work out, it, it always tends to drop you a little bit in the draft. Now, on the opposite side of this, we've seen the effect of when you're healthy at the right time, how it could help you with John Ross. John Ross was a small wide receiver. Now, he had a much more significant injury history than Hamler and ended up running, you know, obviously the greatest 40-yard dash time at the Combine of all time and ended up shocking everyone as a top-10 pick. So, I think with Hamler, if he had gotten to show his skill off at the Combine, 
we'd be talking about him probably as a top 30 lock right now, but that's just not the case. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that kind of leads me into my next question, you know, with everything that's going on with the coronavirus and um, just how things have kind of changed, you know, do you think that this situation that's kind of happened this year will kind of change like prospects, um, I guess, uh, plan like going into like, uh, you know, combine workouts, uh, participating in the all-star games, stuff like that. Do you think, you know, you know, for, you know, years to come that they will kind of change that mindset and you might see more participate versus ones that might sit out the combine or not participate in the all-star games? I'm curious. I think for most players, you, you would like to have the senior bowl practices out there on film. Now that goes a couple ways because I've also heard, you know, a a lot of players, not a lot, but certain position groups, it doesn't benefit them like linebackers and running backs. The senior bowl practices don't really showcase their talents a lot because linebackers have to go out there and cover one-on-one and pretty much all of them get beat. It's almost impossible not to in that scenario, unless you're Patrick queen, who obviously wasn't at the senior bowl because he was an underclassman. So I think when you look at it, there's other positions though that yeah guys will understand they have to get there now you can't predict a world pandemic so I don't know how much it really changes in that regard now it's interesting because once again this goes both ways the combine is one of those things where a lot of guys don't feel comfortable about the clock because it's pretty known for being unreliable and this is your career you're you're betting you're putting your hands in the combine with so the pro day is a very controlled setting I remember you know and there's so many recent examples but you know and T Higgins was somebody that probably thought this he came out and said you know I'm resting I'm not going to participate in the combine and that kind of turned a lot of heads but for T Higgins that 40 time mattered and then he got his pro day in and a lot of people said it was around four five seven so it makes you wonder would T Higgins run like a four seven at the combine because I usually add that much time to it you know, going from their pro day home track to the actual combine. Uh, I know Jamal Adams is somebody that, you know, ran a 40, I think in the four fives uh, a couple of years ago. And then at his pro day, he ran in the four threes. And I, I do think Adams play speed is incredible. So you don't really know which way it's going to go. And sometimes the mystery of it actually saves guys. I mean, I almost feel like if T Higgins didn't run that 40 at his pro day, you know, didn't try to cram that that pro day in in time, I think his stock wouldn't have plummeted like it has in recent, you know, weeks. It felt like he was a top 25 pick forever, and now it looks like he's shaded, but, you know, he's fallen into the top 50. So it really goes both ways. It's a great question because you need to find the things that maximize your stock. You know, sit out the drills that you're, you're not very good at and capitalize on the ones you feel strongly about. If you're if you're a player that feels they could show their strengths and practices and interviews, go to the Senior Bowl. I mean, and not all the guys have, you know, that opportunity because they're not eligible. So I think when you look at it, it you know, once again, there's a lot of different ways it can go. And I think when we come out of this, I, I don't know if it'll change the amount of participation, but it might change the way people view these and, and how, you know, how serious they make a plan tailored around them to show off their strengths. Yeah, man, uh, for sure. And then kind of final question here, and then we'll get you out. Um, what are a couple players, uh, you can just name a few, that you think can immediately will immediately translate uh, as an NFL starter at the, you know, like next year? Um, 
you know, which players do you think will immediately translate? And this doesn't have to be any first rounders, but it can be like anybody you think personally uh, will translate the best. I think a non-first rounder would be Michael Pittman uh, coming out of USC. It seems like everything he does translates to instant impact. He has enough speed to separate. He has really, really good hands. He's a tough player. He's a good route runner. He has a ton of production coming out of USC, especially all the volatility they've had at the quarterback position. So when you look at Pittman, he's he's ready to come in and contribute. You know, I, I think he can come in and contribute probably as a number two wide receiver right away, or at least a number three wide receiver right away. When you look at the running back class, you know, Jonathan Taylor is probably the most pro-ready player in this entire draft, it feels like. Everything Jonathan Taylor did at college is going to translate to the pros right now. The, the workload he had, you know, his improvement in pass protection, uh, just the kind of runner he is, the work ethic he has, I mean, just the off-the-field off training, the mindset, the character... Jonathan Taylor is just an absolute layup in this draft class. And I know the fumbles have people concerned, but I think it's really him just trying to make too much of a play sometimes, and it leads to the fumbles. I think they'll work on that at the next level. So, you know, JT and Pittman are, are two skill guys in this class. Pittman not talked about as much as JT, and JT I still think underappreciated somehow. It feels like a lot of people really don't give him the love he deserves for being one of the better college players of this last decade, I would say. I don't know how you guys feel, and I know you guys, you know, primarily cover a lot of the Big Ten, uh, but I think when you look at it, you know, and even Dobbins, J.K. Dobbins coming out of the Big Ten is somebody else that, you know, scheme-specific in terms of how productive he could be from the jump, but he's somebody that should be ready to go. So I didn't want to name the obvious ones. I don't want to go through Judy and C.D. Lamb and, and Joe Burrow and Chase Young or things like that. I, I think those guys are a good starting point for – you know, maybe the tier two players. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you definitely got me going with the with the Michael Pittman and the J.K. Dobbins because you know that's RB one. Um, but yeah, I mean, thanks for coming on, uh, Connor. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys do the draft coverage again this year at, at the end of the month. Hopefully, it still happens, even if that's via Skype or whatever. Uh, it's always a good time. Um, so for myself and for Devin and for Connor, um, we'll see you guys around next time.